Welcome to another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. All right, Carrie, as you would say, let's get right to it. We finally have, after a marathon and some people would say a debacle, we have a Speaker of the House. We have a functioning uh, House of Representatives. Members have been sworn in, uh, even George Santos. And, uh, but the first things I'm hearing about this House doing are investing Hunter Biden's life uh, laptop and passing anti-abortion bills. I mean, come on, is, can you at least tell me one thing that this new House of Representatives has planned that's going to actually help the American people and that is something the American people want to see passed? The American people don't want more abortion bills. And by the way, six states had referenda, including uh, Kentucky and Montana, and they all supported abortion. So I know you pro-lifers are a little rabid, but it's turning into a circular firing squad here. What's going on? Well, uh, aside from the personal attack on my character as a rabid person, I am going to set that aside, my dear friend, um, and say that uh, there's a lot that has already been passed. Um, HR 23, I'm happy to say, is uh, defunding the the 87,000 additional IRS agents who are going to disproportionately target um, the small businesses. Oh, really, that, that's, that's, be, that's yeah. the, what's sad about all of this is, no, it's true. Look, and, and you asked me, what do the American people want? They don't want that. They don't want the IRS targeting small businesses. That's just, that's just the fact. And, and, right. and the truth is that big businesses can comply with all of these endless audits. It's the small businesses that suffer the most. And they're the ones who are actually disproportionately targeted for these audits. And yeah, everyone should pay their fair share. I'm not, I'm not promoting uh, any of that. It's just saying, I'm just saying there's, there is a disproportionate burden that small businesses have to yeah. suffer for All this. Right. And, and so what else, that's I mean, what else, how about, how about um, stuff that the, the priorities that the American people want? Why are the, why are all we hearing about is, is Hunter Biden's laptop. And then we're hearing about, uh, you know, new anti-abortion, anti-abortion bills, which are really, what do they call those in political parlance, messaging bills. In other words, something that has absolutely no chance of coming to the floor in the other chamber, but simply brought up just to appease the base or to, you know, pay some political price or whatever. I mean, come on. Why can't they? Right now, Congress has such a low approval rating, and it's so important, particularly after how poorly Republicans have done in these last few elections, to show that they can govern. And so far, you have to admit, it's not a good start. Well, they've also passed, or they're working on the Protecting America's Strategic Petroleum Reserve Act from China, which I think is good. I think Biden has has used the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as this basically political piggy, piggy bank. He's dipped into the reserves uh, for reasons because he wanted to, to right before the election, uh, try to, to lower the gas prices. And this, this bill seeks wow. to remedy that. So I think that's a great thing. They also created a select committee um, for China and competitiveness with China. That's a good thing. That's what the American people want. You you keep talking about abortion, but there's a lot of other things here too. There's also the Border Safety and Security Act. There's the illegal alien and NICS alert. Um, there's the uh, defund the police resolution and the prosecutors need to prosecute bill. So there's a lot going on. Uh, and then, but specifically on on the abortion bill, there's one that's called the uh, the Born Alive Act, which I, I to me 
as a human rights, if you're interested in human rights, Dave, how can how can you defend any Democrat who would vote against this? Because what it basically says is that it requires any physician to provide medical care to a baby who survives a botched abortion. How See, how you, would you, you vote you, against that? And all Democrats, I think no. one Democrat voted in the House for it, and then Very, one voted president. All the others voted. Okay, I, against yeah, I have to respond to this. You this is this is this is a typical example like the so-called partial birth abortion, which is also a misnomer of why Congress has no business legislating medicine. Okay, you talk to doctors about this so-called born alive thing. It's BS. It doesn't happen. It's something that the pro-life movement has made up. Just like this, what's that uh, euphemism they use? Abortion or birth uh, support centers. What do they call them? They're shams. They don't provide health care. 80% of them are just centers where they try to talk people out of getting abortions. So this is all BS. It's all, it's all singling the base. And all these other bills that you're talking about have been talked about. Nothing's been passed. This, this house is so far off to a terrible start. And I have to say, Kevin McCarthy has sacrificed almost all the powers he's going to need. And what particularly concerns me is the Rules Committee, right? Because typically you have nine Republicans, four Democrats. You now have three members of the MAGA, Freedom, whatever, the Looney Bin Caucus, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates crowd, you want to call them. They're on the Rules Committee. So think about it. They can, they can side with the four Democrats and block things from coming to the floor. So that just gives you an idea of how screwed up things are going to be. But I can promise you there will be very little meaningful legislation that, that comes out of the House. And unfortunately, a big part of that is because Kevin McCarthy has yielded so much control to the crazies. And But we will see. But anyway, my question for you is... Hey, it's my uh, turn. Oh, Sorry, you're right. That was your it, question. It is your turn. See, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so excited. I wanted to ask you my second well, question, but go ahead. I, I can respond. As, as you know, I can respond to everything you just said. But for the interest of time, I will move to my question, which is, okay. I hope something a bit less polarizing, but we'll see. Uh, although Elon Musk is a polarizing figure, um, my question to you, because you're out there in Silicon Valley, who do you think would be a good replacement? Because Elon Musk has said that he might step down. He took that Twitter poll that said, should I step down? And people said, yes. Um, who would you like to see uh, in the tech space? Who could be maybe less polarizing, but competent, but also fair? Because yes, the bias against conservatives at Twitter was very real. No matter what any conspiracy theorist wants to say that it wasn't, it really was. Um, and so he's trying to clean that up. But who do you think would be a good replacement for him? Well, you know, that's a very interesting question. And as someone who lives in Silicon Valley, I've thought about it. And first of all, I have to say, I wish Elon would have never gotten involved with Twitter because it's hurt his reputation. And particularly, you know, it's it, people who knew, who know this company well warned he's going to get sucked into the cesspool. And sure enough, after that awful attack on Paul Pelosi, Elon tweeted, ooh, there might be more to the Pelosi attack than meets the eye hinting that it was his gay lover or some awful rumor like that. And the point is, Tesla right now needs him. Look at what Tesla stock has done since Elon has run has, has left to run Twitter. So having said that, I hope he's going to leave. 
is going to help both the company and his reputation. Now, to answer your question, I think you would want A, someone that has credibility in the, in the tech community, B, someone that is thought of, as you would say, as a non-polarizing figure that has respect on both sides of the aisle. So someone who can A, deal with the liberal complaints against Twitter and the conservative complaints against Twitter, both of which I think are valid. So I would nominate, and by the way, so many of these companies are like male frat houses. So I say, how about a woman, first of all? And how about someone like a Meg Whitman or a Carly Fiorina? Someone that has credibility in Silicon Valley, that knows the ropes, that, will, that uh, can come in there, get respect, and maybe turn it into something that won't be so commonly uh, referred to as a cesspool. What do you think? Those are interesting. Uh, yeah, Carly. How about you? Favorite. How about well, you're out there. I was thinking maybe you, Dave. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> I'm happy to be in the wellness industry, and as uh, my as my uh, uh, one of my passions. But I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, because you know you're someone obviously that uh, is very involved with Twitter. Who would be your first choice? You know, I hadn't get it, given it thought. Let me think about it. But I, in the meantime, responding to what you said about the um, uh, Elon, I mean, in fairness to him, it wasn't just the Tesla stock. The tech stocks in general have taken a beating. And then just the broader market in general has taken a beating thanks to, you know, the policies like reckless inflation and things like that. So uh, so that's part of it. Uh, and so he's not in isolation. Tesla doesn't exist in a vacuum in terms of the drop there. So there's that. And no, then, but, you, but, you, but you talk to analysts and then they say the company has been neglected and a lot of uh, uh, the, the management of the company has been less strong since he left to run Twitter, which is obviously inevitable because he's the main guy at Tesla, right? So yeah, even no, someone as capable as Elon... Can't, and I own, can't be two people at once. I own some Tesla stock. So yes, I want it to succeed. So full disclosure. <laughs> yes, I, I, I want good management there. But um, I, I like Linda McMahon. I think she would be great. And I, I've been working with her at AFPI. Um, yeah. And I think she'd be fun. And and she's, she's someone, she was the small business administrator for President Trump. Very sharp, uh, good business mind, built a you know billion dollar plus company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, public from scratch. And then, you know, maybe having an, an outsider come in, someone who hasn't, you know, who's who's tough and who can run a business, but hasn't been in Silicon Valley. Maybe that would be good. So I, that, that's also a good perspective. Well, I think we both agree. It sounds like whoever takes over, it's time for Elon to move on, both for his benefit and for Twitter's. <laughs> Well, I like what he's doing at, as far as helping conservatives because yes, there is some liberal complaint, but let's be honest, it's it's tiny compared to it's 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 the moat in the eye compared to the beam. Um, it's very disproportionate against conservatives. So as long as the, the, the successor will will be more of an empire who is who is balls and strikes more down the middle, then I would support him leaving. Okay, yeah, I don't completely agree with what you said, but. The conservative thing, but I do agree with you that you need someone who's even down down the middle. All right. So my second question is: I love one of one of the things that the you know the Trump crowd has done so well is 
conflate apples and oranges. And to me, there's this whole thing about Biden's documents that were found at this center, and then a couple more were found. And literally, you have the Tucker Carlson's of the world trying to say that Donald Trump holding on to documents and the documents, the few documents that were found in uh, at Joe Biden's, uh, not even his, but the think tank he's associated with are the same thing. You don't honestly believe that, do you? Well, they also found it in his garage, apparently, next to the car. Uh, so an unsecured location. So it's not just that. But I, th I think the shared thread between the two is that there is no evidence to date that there was malpractice or malintent involved, that this was something that was accidental, um, that it, you know, in the case of President Trump, Trump was accidental. He, he accidentally no, no, it, it, took. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying if there was any, any laws broken, it wasn't done purposely. He thought that he had declassified them. So he thought he was in the clear. So, you know, in crime, you have to say men's right. You have to show that there is criminal intent. How about the Justice Department? Asking him to, to asking him to give them back all these times and him refusing to do that was was that breaking the law? Um, I think that that he's allowed to dispute what's his property and not his property, and oh, and and certainly other presidents have have taken things that were classified. I mean, there's lots of disputes with Bill Clinton, and he was storing stuff in his underwear drawer. So, yeah, you know, but not again, even, not even close, not even close. Well, we can agree to disagree, my friend. <laughs> okay. Well I, well, I will simply say that, again, what I love, and it just shows you, if anyone wants to know how clueless Donald Trump is, I love his latest response. Well, I'm waiting for federal agents to raid Joe Biden. Hey, message, Mr. President. They don't have to raid him because he voluntarily turned the documents in. You see, if you voluntarily turn things in when people ask you, then you don't get raided. I mean, you have to admit, even as the Trumpster, that was pretty rich irony that he was so clueless he would say that. It is pretty entertaining. Come on, give me give me that one, Gary. <laughs> well, I, I look. <laughs> he he I won't even give Trump me that loves one. Drama. <laughs> Trump loves drama, and drama of loves course. Trump. So, oh, too much true. drama. That's right. Donald Trump would never have any drama. <laughs> yes. Exactly. All right. Fire away. Fire away at me with your next one. Okay. So this is a topic which I, I know, I think it's interesting just since we've been doing the show, I think, I think abortion is the topic where I think we have some of the strongest disagreement, um, which is, is interesting to me. But I, I so want to get we do agree on some things. We should give credit where we agree. We so I'm hoping you'll agree with me on this. Okay. And it's, it's a, it's a well, I disagree with what the Associated Press has done. So they want to get rid of the phrase heartbeat bill, and they want to replace it with cardiac activity. To me, that is very dehumanizing to say that this is not a heart, it's not a human heart, it's just cardiac activity. And that to me sanitizes what's at stake. And to me, again, this is a human rights issue. I, I just, I will never back down on standing for human rights and to dehumanize a human heart and just call it cardiac activity, I think is wrong. And and what's, what's, what's troubling is that this is 
seen by billions of people. The Associated Press, their handbook, you know, in journalism school for me, it was our Bible, the Associated Press guidebook, and, and all, it's the standard around the world. So to me, and, and this is on top of the fact that they also uh, recently, too, before this, but recently, they said, don't call people pro-life. Either call them anti-abortion or pro-abortion rights. Or no, again, or, 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 or yeah, he's right. Or anti-choice no, is what they want to call them, right? Not pro-life, anti-choice. Well, no, I'm saying this is what the Associated Press handbook officially, okay. which is the, the, not the, the, the standard for journalism around the world seen by billions of people. They say you can't say pro-life and you can't and you need to say anti-abortion rights or anti-abortion. And to me, that that's automatically putting a pro-life person. You're not allowing them to be described the way they want to be described. And you're automatically putting them at odds with the Supreme Court, which said there is no right to an abortion. So the Associated Press is saying you must say uh, anti-abortion rights or anti-abortion, and you can't say pro-life. And you also can't say a uh, heartbeat bill. You have to say cardiac activity. So do you think oh, yeah. this is Orwellian and unfair to do this, to not not call someone what they want to be called, and then to dehumanize the human heart? Well, okay. To be honest, you know, I I don't see how consequential this this is, other than than people maybe being offended on what based on what they read. Is this going to affect any legislation or any policy or anything? I don't think so. So now I will say being the fair guy that I am, and we've mentioned this before, I can't stand this PC wokeism stuff. Like, it's not a mother, it's a birthing person. I mean, this stuff drives me crazy, okay? So I'm a little old-fashioned that way. I don't think it's uh, inappropriate to use gender references. And I think people, frankly, should, if you're a journalist, you should be able to say whatever you want. I am pro-choice, but I respect people who have different opinions. So I say pro-life. Pro I don't say anti-choice. So I don't say, you know, uh, anti-abortion or whatever, because it's a philosophical difference. But having said that, I think we're splitting hairs. And I think we have more important things to deal with. I'd never heard of this before. Again, you know, as a Stanford alumnus, I got this email about words that we're not supposed to be to use. And I've never been more embarrassed. So... Believe me, I, you're 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 talking to someone who does not want, who cannot stand all this, this word choice that the, these words that you use and that you can't use. I think there are obviously certain words that you can't use, but we've been using other words for decades and for generations, and it's been fine. So, overall, I I think this is sort of a big nothing burger. But if it means a lot to you, then I would say okay. Uh, Call call yourself what what you want, and you know let uh, live live and let live. Well, again, as a journalist, the Associated Press Handbook is a big deal, and to me, it 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 actually shapes the the culture. And but culture how many journalists press. look at the Associated Press Handbook these days? Come on, oh, Karen. all all every copy desk, every single copy, every every yeah, every article single copy see. desk. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. They are the gatekeepers of the language. So, and if, if it wasn't a big deal, why would they make the change? It's obviously I, big. They understand. I, I'm just but, saying, given all the problems we have in this country, I just don't see this as something that's going to uh, determine the future of the planet. I, I understand how it can personally uh, get up your craw because I agree with you. 
Uh, I don't like it when I'm passionate about things and people try to use what I consider are misnomers. Um, and but again, I think we have you know we have more important things to deal with. And these days, you know, so much of the journalistic uh, bar and uh, protocol has gone out the window that I would be very surprised. It's sort of like. Uh, it kind of reminds me of when you have to read an emergency handbook when you become a fireman and then you keep it in your locker and you, you never touch it again. That's kind of how I would view this. Well, as someone who has worked in journalism, I know that that's not the case, but. Well, I, I yeah, you, but right now all I can say based on the quality of the journalism and the standards there, there don't seem to, to, uh, to be much. So we'll we see. Agree <laughs> we agree on that. Yes, that we can we can at least agree on. So on that note, we will wrap up another episode of Practically Political. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye.